millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 29th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Start Your Engines, a search to find Mississippi's next education chief is set to start. And we talk with Toby Price, the assistant principal fired after he read a book called I Need a New Butt to School Children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Reeves has vetoed $13 million appropriated by the legislature to rehabilitate LaFleur's Bluff State Park in Jackson. Plans for the renovation included an ambitious golf course designed by Robert Trent Jones, Jr. The governor says the project would be wasteful. On countless occasions, I've expressed the importance of having a strong and a safe capital city. Rather than invest more money into what Jackson really needs, like more police officers, this appropriation throws millions of dollars into a golf course that has already failed. The expenditure becomes all the more inappropriate when considering that there are three public golf courses within less than five miles of this location. House Speaker Philip Gunn, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, and Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith have expressed support for the project. Reeves also recently announced a veto for $15 million appropriated to upgrade facilities at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. It was specifically for uh, construction at the adult hospital, and it is my view when you look at what we've seen over the last several years is that the number of beds available in in our state uh, has not been uh, really an issue. The inability of our hospitals to actually staff those beds has been the issue. And so it is my view uh, that that money would be significantly better served uh, in one of the many programs that that I have approved over the last several weeks, uh, improving and increasing training uh, for those in the healthcare space. In announcing that veto, Reeves also waded into the ongoing dispute between the medical center and insurer Blue Cross Blue Shield over a new contract. Some background on that standoff. UMMC says it deserves a richer contract than other Jackson area hospitals because of the scope and caliber of services it provides. 
Blue Cross Blue Shield says UMMC is trying to pull off a money grab. The governor seems more or less to agree. Let's just be honest. With the University of Mississippi Medical Center, um, they compete with hospitals in and around this region. They compete with hospitals for staff. They also compete with them for patients. And that's okay. The Mississippi legislature has afforded them uh, certain advantages in that competition. Um, There are certain CON laws, for instance, uh, that the University of Mississippi Medical Center doesn't have to adhere to that every other private entity and every other hospital has to. And with that special treatment comes uh, an additional obligation. CON, short for Certificate of Need Laws, mandates that hospitals receive permission from state regulators before expanding services or facilities. Both the golf course and the UMMC vetoes are line item ones. That means the governor specifically excised those expenditures from bills he otherwise signed, so he just took it out. House Speaker Philip Gunn told Jackson TV station WJTV yesterday that the legality of those vetoes could be questioned in court. Coming up, we talked to the assistant principal fired after he read a book called I Need a New Butt to Second Graders in Byram. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi's longest-serving state superintendent of education says she will retire in June. Carrie Wright became the leader of Mississippi Public Schools in 2013 after working nearly 40 years in other states. Wright says her last day on the job will be June 30th. That's the final day of the state budget year. Rosemary Altman is state chair of the Board of Education. She speaks with MPB reporter Kobe Vance. Dr. Wright's tenure uh, as state superintendent uh, of education in Mississippi has actually changed the trajectory of education in our state and brought Mississippi into the national forefront um, of the gains that have been made uh, during her tenure, everything from reading and math scores, graduation, to uh, the success of the early childhood collaboratives and any number, any other number of initiatives that um, have been put in place. And her time here has um, just been marked by one success after the other. When it comes to looking for a replacement, how soon will the board begin that process and what will y'all be looking for? We're already um, pulling together information. Um, um, for example, a profile, uh, we just, the process, um, and what we will, the process that we'll go through. Certainly we'll hire a search firm to be able to help us go through the candidates because we feel, I mean, this is a uh, an attractive job now. Um, and we feel that we will have any number of applications. So we will uh, have a search firm to help us sort through those and uh, do the background checks, check credentials and those kinds of things and narrow them down to um, a number, um, five, seven, something like that, that that the full board will interview. But we've just begun the process of pulling together the information that we need to be able to proceed. In terms of goals, are there any aspects or expertise y'all are looking for, or y'all might look for, as y'all 
begin to look for candidates? Well, certainly we want to keep the momentum going. So uh, I think the board will, will be looking for someone who has the um, expertise in, in uh, managing a department uh, like the state education, uh, Department of Education, someone who understands data and how, you, how data is used to drive the agenda, someone who uh, can um, take the uh, strategic plan that's in place and align the work with that, uh, someone who has a vision for education, and someone who believes in the teachers and the administration and the children of Mississippi and who believe that our people are just as capable as, as any uh, group across the nation to be able to be successful. Dr. Wright mentioned that she would encourage the next person who takes her position to be focusing on health care uh, or mental health. Any other aspects you'd be encouraging the future state superintendent to be you know, looking into trying to address and improve for the students or teachers of Mississippi? Well, student and teacher mental health is, is one thing that has come to the forefront because of the pandemic. We, um, we are getting feedback all across the state that mental health issues have popped up because of the um, isolation, because of the uh, difficulty and the stress of the pandemic. So certainly that is one area that we're um, very concerned about. The other uh, area would be someone who uh, understands the value of early childhood and who is willing to commit and work to early childhood. Uh, Our collaboratives have been very successful and the children in those collaboratives are uh, scoring much higher than the children who are not in one of the collaboratives. And so we see the value of that and the uh, the successful track that it puts children on all the way through school in that they get a, a head start, you might say, or a jump start through having a successful early childhood program. So we would certainly want someone who understands the value of that. Then the other programs that we have in place um, uh, not only telehealth, but uh, our um, math and science, our math and uh, language arts tutors, uh, someone who understands the fact that uh, we have so many uh, languages spoken in our schools now, and the need for those children to be able to have uh, literacy teachers who are literacy tutors who can help them transition in the classroom. That's just a few of the areas that come to mind. Last week, the Board uh, of Education approved a revised proposal to determine uh, A through F grades in school districts, and this would adjust for temporarily um, the accountability system. You know, can you tell us a little bit about that, what that could mean for Mississippi schools as we're continuing through the pandemic? Well, that uh, the adjustment in the accountability model was a result of the pandemic uh, because we have a gap in the scoring in the uh, test scores because of the time that the students were out of school. And so it became necessary to be fair to schools across the state and uh, uh, that we make those adjustments. And that came as a result of um, uh, the Technical Advisory Committee, which is made up of administrators and teachers across the state, and uh, also our professional technical people who are statisticians and who look at all this information. So it went through a lot of iterations before it 
came to the board, but it was necessary as a result of the pandemic and uh, to be able to have consistent and cohesive accountability. That model is um, <laughs> it's a difficult model to understand, and a lot of thought goes into it, but it's also required by the federal government. And so we felt that this was the proper thing to do to be able for school districts to be able to have what was um, equitable scoring, I, I guess you would say, during the course of, of the pandemic because they had a year where they had no scores. This year, the legislature passed a bill that the, the name of the bill prohibits the, the teaching of critical race theory in schools, whereas the actual bill has a little slightly different language where it, it specifically prohibits teaching that any race, ethnicity, and a few other factors are neither superior or inferior to others. I wanted to get your thoughts on what what does this future you know school years look like for the Department of Education in trying to you know work with schools to figure out where are the lines where can teachers what can teachers teach about in history classes and what might they need to avoid? Every school district has a set of standards that they are to teach to, and that's that is tested on the on the state test. So they are given uh, a set of standards by which to teach or that they should adhere to. Uh, each community then, um, each school district, I should say, um, determines the curriculum that's necessary to teach and reach those standards. So um, critical race has never been a discussion in any board meeting. Uh, we have never sent any information uh, to a district that says you do not teach this or you teach it. The legislature has has passed this bill, which certainly uh, we expect school districts to obey the law, and um, the department follows direction that's given through statute uh, from the legislature. But critical race has not been an issue, and no district has mentioned it to us. No, fan I have not received one call about it. Um, and so, um, as I said, we expect school districts to teach to the standards and that their curriculum should be aligned with the standards. Rosemary Altman is state chair of the Board of Education. Still ahead, we talk with the assistant principal fired after he read a book called I Need a New Butt to School Children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Toby Price made national headlines last month when he was fired from his job at an elementary school in Byram for reading a children's book called I Need a New Butt to second graders. Price is now in the process of appealing that decision. He speaks with MPB's Michael Guidry. Circumstances were this. Here we were. Um, it was 10 o'clock, Read Across America Week. I had 12 classes on Zoom waiting for a reader to zoom in with them this, uh, um, this reader was supposed to be in another building so you know she was going to be on zoom with them i you know coordinated the event and she was going to read to them uh time came and she wasn't there so i called no answer text still no answer my boss said go ahead and read now we're about 15 minutes in so far and you know uh, <laughs> kids 12 classrooms full of kids you know, it's kind of like the ocean you don't want to turn your back on it for very long 
you don't want to leave them unattended or unengaged for very long. So I grabbed a book that I had nearby. Um, it was I Need a New Butt by Nam McMillan, of course. Um, I'll, the building itself where I'm in, uh, the roof is being repaired. So I was being moved to another office. So a lot of my books were packed up. Now, that doesn't matter. I probably still would have picked this book. It was there. It was nearby. Who knows? Uh, but a lot of my stuff was packed up. So my options were a little slim. Um, I grabbed this book. I Need a New Butt. Read it. Thought the kids enjoyed it. And then I got called to the principal's office because of the book. They thought they might have some parent complaints. I apologize that I'd be happy to speak to the parents. I'm very sorry. Um, later, I was called to the superintendent's office, and kind of um, they kind of let me have it about the book. Um, is this the kind of thing you find funny? And I was like, well, before I walked in here, yes, I did. <laughs> Don't anymore, I guess. I, um, they sent me home suspended uh, with pay. Never been suspended before. Didn't really know what that entailed, so, of course, I was upset. Um, they called me back in Thursday of that same week and told me I was terminated for lack of professional judgment because I chose this book, poor professional judgment. Um, so, you know, fast forward to, well, that same day, I mean, they told me, um, I could resign or be terminated and they left me in the room to decide. So I called my wife. Uh, my wife told me, um, if you fill out that resignation, it's like admitting you were right and you're not. Well, they were right, excuse me, and you're not wrong here. They're not right. You're not going to resign. She said, I've been married to you for 20 years. If you had done something wrong, I have no problem telling you, but you didn't hear. Um, so I gathered my things, had my held up high, and walked right out. After that, you know, we, we eventually ended up filing an appeal. That was the first step. We, filed, we found an attorney, which is the first time we've ever had to do anything like that. Uh, we filed an appeal. Now we're at a point where the board has to make a decision. Whether they, they side, you know, uphold the decision, I want them to have to come out and say that. If they change it, that's fine, too. If they were to agree with me, you know, that's fine, too. But I think I really want them to have to at least come out and make a stand because, you know what, I did. <laughs> and I've been in the public eye for it, you know, because I did. So I think they need to come out and make their decision as well. It, it's the, the book is the – that's the impetus for this decision. Is, is it a book that's available in any of the Hines County School District libraries? Not in the libraries, No. But at one point in time, it was available online for students to read. It's not now. Um, and one of the things we did bring up is the fact that, you know, what there are comparable books that are in the Hines County libraries that are a lot more inappropriate than this one that are just widely accepted. I, I guess part of the residuals of all this is this, this conversation about the role of silly books uh, mm -hmm. and when it comes to children's literature. What is the role of silly books? You know what? Silly books are what helps kids want to read. Um, when I was growing up, I thought if you were to ask me, I would say reading reading's boring until my parents gave me books that I really thought were cool and liked. You know, for me, it was Spider-Man comics and then it echoed into Calvin and Hobbes and it just kind of grew from there. Kids need the silly books to to gain the confidence and the skills, you know, to see that if this book is silly and funny. This is by the same author. Oh, I want to read this one. And when they read that one, they're practicing and their skills are getting stronger. And if they can stick around for all the funny and silly books, they'll stick around long enough to see that books can be a lot more than just funny and silly. They're comforting. You can learn from them. You know, they'll stick around to get to the other stuff. But you have to start with the stuff that makes them see, oh, wow, this is interesting. And you've mentioned how basically within the day of reading it, mm -hmm. um, there was recourse and then like, on the building level and then within the week recourse from the – the district level, there's a lot to be said about labor laws in the state of Mississippi. What has this experience taught you, uh, and what perspective do you have about 
in Mississippi being a an at will state and not having the support of a of a unionized teacher group when it comes to matters like this? I think I think that the educators in the state are at a deficit for not having those things. Because if this let's say that this decision is upheld, you know, it sets a standard. You know, if a, if a teach if an administrator can be fired for reading one book and not have any other discipline in his file for that district, and then what about the other teachers? You know, it's going to happen to everybody. And I think not having the support or the, I guess the, I don't want to say, I guess we'll say support of a union or the safety net, excuse me, of a union, I think it puts Mississippi educators at a deficit. Because if I knew that I could be fired just right off the bat, you know, in the classroom, I probably wouldn't want to do that job. And I worry that eventually the ones who would want to do it aren't going to want to do it anymore. And to fill empty classrooms, you know, Mississippi may lower the standards just to get people in the rooms. Um, you know, that, that part's kind of frightening. That part's kind of frightening. So I think we are at a deficit without a union. If the decision is, is repealed, do you have interest in going back to Hines County School District? There would have to be conditions. Because um, right now I think because of everything that has gone down, um, that has happened, that has occurred – I don't think it would be the best working conditions for me to return right there to that school. And I don't think that that's my fault. So there'd have to be some talks and some considerations and some settlement type things suggested, you know, cause I, I don't think it's a place where I could go back right now and feel secure to do my job. Did the termination put you in a position where you're unable to work anywhere else? Or is, is this just, uh, is the challenge to this termination uh, more of a principled move. The challenge is to have it removed from my record so I have an easier time getting another a comparable job here in Mississippi. Since this has happened, I've had several offers from other states to come and work for them. You know, solid offers. And I told all of my I'm not saying no yet. Here's my phone number and here's my resume. Once things settle down, I want to talk. I haven't received miss from Mississippi? None. None. And I think the fact that, you know, once you I don't want to say cause a problem, but once they know that you are going to push back, other school districts in Mississippi would be as hesitant to hire you. Do you have an idea, either, either way, what what direction you want to go? I do. I do. And, you know, I think my wife and I – my wife and I have to discuss it some more because there's a pretty there's pretty firm chance we're going to move. We're going to move. If I want to get back in education, fine. She's not pressuring me to one way or the other. But there's a pretty good chance we're going to move just because – because one, there's never been a greater time, <laughs> but we've always talked about it just for having more opportunities for our youngest child, daughter, of course, but for our two older kids with autism, there are more resources and opportunities in other places, and we've always talked about moving for them, so you know, there hasn't been a better time, but we haven't fully fleshed out that discussion yet. That's Toby Price, who says he was wrongfully fired for reading the book, I Need a New Butt, to a second grade class. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us on Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Have a great weekend.